We are in uh, week four of our faith in. It's ultimately all, I said last week, all about Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus. And uh, this week's sermon, coincidentally, or not so much, I mean, it wasn't planned this way, but this week's sermon, which was mapped out like eight weeks ago, is called Faith in the Healer. And uh, so that feels, you know, like timely with coronavirus. But uh, we're talking about faith in the healer this morning. Our, our theology, here's what we have on tap this week. Our theology is that Jesus heals our soul. Our application is we are healed eternally for the glory of God. And then our prayer is, God, help us to glorify you in the healing you've provided. I, I know that there's been a lot of worry, a lot of fear People tend to be landing on this coronavirus thing in one of two ways, like fear and panic or kind of being cavalier and callous to it. And I think that probably the correct response is somewhere in the middle of that. And so uh, I would encourage you not to, to be fearful, not to be afraid. Don't let fear rule your life, but be wise, make good choices. And so uh, we asked, you know, like we sent it out on Facebook and different things that if you've been sick or if you've been around people who've been sick, maybe don't come to church. It's not because we don't like you, you know, or anything like that. But uh, we, were, we were visiting my family in San Antonio this, uh, this past week. And, and it's just, it's amazing how many things are shutting down. I had a friend, a couple of friends who were artists who were supposed to do uh, Spring at the Silos in Waco this week, and that got canceled, and sports are canceled, and like everything's being canceled. And uh, just remember that that's not a fear response. They're trying to kind of keep the sickness from growing, you know, and more people getting it. And so be wise, be careful. And then the other thing is, listen, if, if you know somebody who's sick, if you know somebody who needs something, uh, or if you know a family who maybe because school was canceled for another week, like their kids aren't going to have food because normally they rely on the school to help provide them with breakfast or lunch, let us know. If there are families that are in need or something like that that you know of, please let us know so that we can be helpful. And, uh, and let's, let's make sure that in this time, we're serving our community. And so if there's anything that you guys need, please let us know. When we're talking from a biblical perspective, though, and what we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, faith in the healer, we're not talking so much about our physical healing. Eventually, these bodies are going to fail, and eventually we will close our eyes in death because of one thing or another, and, uh, and we will open our eyes in the presence of a living God. And so one day these bodies come to an end. And so when we talk about Jesus, our healer, what I'm talking about this morning, leaping from a place of physical healing, but what I'm talking about this morning is the healing that we receive in our soul, the fact that God has saved us through his son. And if you would please this morning, turn to John 9. We're going to spend the majority of our time in John 9, Jesus heals our soul. We're putting faith in the healer. Jesus heals our soul. And I will not read the entirety of John 9 to you, though it probably wouldn't take us very long. Actually, I'll probably end up reading a good chunk of it. But uh, th this is a story where Jesus, in the course of his ministry, is walking along with his 12 disciples, and they see a man who's been born blind. And he's an, an adult man now, and they asked Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus this question, who was guilty, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Uh, that gives us some insight into kind of the Jewish mindset. They felt like the reason that anybody would be born blind or be born crippled is either because of their sin in utero somehow, or because their parents had sinned, and this is punishment. And Jesus is really quick to say that that's not the case, that 
uh, it's, I don't know. I think, I think people still say those kinds of things. Like, oh man, like somebody, I promise you, I haven't heard it yet, but I promise you somebody somewhere is saying that the coronavirus is God's judgment on the world or whatever. I promise that that is being said. Just like the next flood, you know, that happens or the next hurricane that happens, somebody's going to say, see, God's mad. Golly, it, it, I, I want to just say that those kinds of statements, when you hear those from like, especially people who proclaim Christ, that's just stupidity, okay? That is, that is not understanding the scripture. And so the disciples, being stupid, ask Jesus, they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus goes, neither. <laughs> like, he, it's not because of sin that he was born blind. And then he says this, look, this is verse 3. It was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God could be displayed in him. So that the works of God would be displayed in him. And Jesus comes up to this man who had been born blind, and he, tell, he does this. I, I remember being in maybe eighth grade at a youth camp where we were doing a little breakout session in a Bible study. There, may, there couldn't have been more than 10 of us in this little Bible study. And the guy gave us each cups of dirt and in this story, what Jesus does is he spits in some dirt and he makes a mud ball and he wipes it on the guy's eyes. And then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and then you'll be able to see. And this guy in our Bible study had us spit in these cups of dirt and, and make mud balls. And he said, you can't make a very big mud ball, can you? And he made the big deal about, see, there's just enough mud for one person's eye. That was kind of like this, his whole thing, you know, like there's just enough mud for one person's eyes. And he's like, and look, look at your fingernails. And he goes, you got dirt under your fingernails. And he goes, the God of heaven got dirt under his fingernails. And like it was, I mean, in eighth grade, I was going, wow, like that's amazing. As an adult, I go, wow, that's shallow. Um, my spit can only make a little ball and I got dirt under my fingernails. And that was, that was the takeaway. Look at the humanity of God. He'll spit in dirt for you and he'll get mud under his fingernails. And I just remember being so in awe of that. And let me just tell you guys, you'll notice no cups of dirt under your chairs. You'll note, like, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Like, I just don't like to be dirty. Okay. And so like pizza with a fork, French fries with a fork, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm weird that way, and so like uh, maybe my eighth grade experience ruined it for me, you know? I was like, that's the last time I'm spitting in dirt. But anyway, the point of the text isn't Jesus' dirty fingernails or that he put spit mud on some guy's eyes. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that Jesus is revealing himself as God. Jesus is reveal revealing himself as the Savior of the world. In, in fact, there's a, there's a text in Isaiah that says that he bore our sicknesses and he carried our diseases. And what we need to know is in Matthew 8, everybody who's coming to Jesus for healing is receiving it. And the Bible says in Matthew 8, this was to fulfill the scripture that says he bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Jesus was healing people. I want to be careful how I say this. Jesus was healing people not just because he was benevolent and gracious, but primarily to prove that he was God. That's why he was healing people, because they weren't seeing anybody else doing that. And so when Jesus is healing this guy, it is not just for this guy, but for those who are around him so that they can know that Jesus is God. And so this blind guy, 
I'm, I'm just fascinated by this part of the story, and this is where the Ryan version kind of kicks in, but I'm fascinated, like, I don't know how far the pool of Siloam is from where Jesus puts the mud on this guy's eyes, but this guy makes it to the pool of Siloam. Now, keep in mind, at this point, he has not seen Jesus face-to-face because of the blindness, okay? That makes it difficult. He gets to the pool of Siloam, washes off, and he can see, and that's amazing. And then look at this in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, it is him. Others said, no, it just looks like him. But he kept saying, I'm the guy. You you can understand the confusion. This guy's walking around seeing, and they're like, wasn't this the guy who was begging? You know, wasn't this the guy who we've always seen sitting by this road, by this gate, begging? Yeah, that's him. Others going, no, it can't be. It just looks like him. And he's like, no, 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 it's really me. He's super excited about it. So I guess you could read that as he kept saying, I'm the guy. But I just don't think that that's probably the case here. So you'll forgive my artistic license. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he said, the man called Jesus made mud. You'll notice no mention about the spit or potential dirt under fingernails. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Because of the blindness thing, right? So if you write in your Bibles, which is okay to do, but if you're not comfortable, that's fine. I want you to note something that's really interesting here, and I don't want to make too big of a deal of it, so I'll be really careful. But look in verse 11. How are your eyes opened? They say at the end of verse 10, he said, the man called Jesus. Take note of that. Circle it if you want to. Underline it. The man called Jesus. He's like, man, the guy, the man called Jesus did this thing. So they brought him in verse 13 to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made mud and opened his eyes. So on the Sabbath day, in case you don't know, the Jews said no work on the Sabbath day, none. They had made all these rules in addition to the scripture. One of the rules was you can't carry anything heavier than a dried fig. And the fact that Jesus had made mud and that he told him to go and wash, ooh, those are bad violations, you know, like not really, but the Pharisees, man, they were just religious snobs and they were just looking for any reason to kind of crush people under the weight of law. And so Jesus had done this on the healing in verse 15. It says, so the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among the crowd. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And look at what he says now about Jesus. He's a prophet. So just moments ago, he goes, the man named Jesus did this. And now he's going, no, he's a prophet. So he's, he's elevated Jesus' status a little bit. He's a man. No, no, no. He's a prophet. He's the one who opened my eyes. So here's what happens. They didn't believe that this guy had been born blind, and so they call for his parents to come. And they get his parents to come, and they say, is this your son, the one that was born blind? And they're like, yeah, it's him. And they're like, how can he see? And they're like, we don't know. And the Pharisees had already said, anyone who who declares Jesus as God, anyone who puts any faith in Jesus would be thrown out of the synagogue. So that would be like being thrown out of your religious organization or your, you know, like it's not really the same as being thrown out of a church kind of here, but like, because there's nowhere else to go. If you're a Jew, you're part of the synagogue. There's nowhere else to go. And so they've already said, if you put confidence in Jesus, if you make it about Jesus, you're out. We're done with you. 
And so they were asking the parents, how did this happen? And you would think that the parents would be really excited and be like, man, Jesus asked ask him. Jesus did it. And they said, no, we're not going to answer that question because the parents didn't want to be thrown out. So they asked the man again, how is it that you were blind and that now you see? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? And they cursed him saying, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So he's just said about Jesus, he's a worshiper of God. He does the will of God. Verse 32, never since the world began has it ever been heard of of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this man, Jesus, opened my eyes. No, 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 he's a prophet. No, this man from God opened my eyes. Do you see how this man, is, this blind man is kind of processing this, right? So they finally say, look, you were born in sin, and they're done with him, and they cast him out of the synagogue. And he's going around, and Jesus comes up to him, but he doesn't know who Jesus looks like or what Jesus looks like, again, because blind at the beginning of the story, Right? And so Jesus comes up to him after, he, after the, the man's been cast out of the synagogue, and he says to him in verse 35, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Savior? Have you put faith in the Son of Man? Is your faith in the Savior? Is your faith in the Redeemer? Is your faith in the Son of God? Is your faith in the Rescuer of mankind? And he answered, who is he, sir, so that I can believe in him? So Imagine you're the blind guy. You've been telling people all day, Jesus did this. This man, this prophet, this guy who came from God, he did this, and I was born blind, and now I can see. And he was so willing to, to trust in Jesus that his parents disowned him, and now he's kicked out of the synagogue in the course of a day. It's been a busy day for this guy. And Jesus comes up to him, and Jesus, to this guy, is just a stranger, and he says, Jesus says to the guy, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is, do you believe in God? Do you believe in the Savior? Do you believe in the Redeemer? And this guy goes, show me who he is so I can. He's, he just thinks some guy's asking. Like, just, hey, do you believe in him? Yeah, just show me who he is. And Jesus says, you've seen him, and it's the one now talking to you. And look at what the guy says. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This man, Jesus, healed me. He was a prophet. He came from God. No, he's Lord. He looks Jesus in the face, declares him Lord, and worships him. This has been a big day for this guy. Jesus healed him, not for what happens in the first five verses. Jesus heals him, not for what happens in the next 30 verses. Jesus heals him for what happens right here, right here in this verse where he says to him, I lost it, verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus healed this guy for the sake of this guy's soul because at the end of the day, eyesight doesn't save you. At the end of the day, not falling into sickness, whatever the virus may be, doesn't save you. At the end of the day, having the cancer removed from your body, either medically or miraculously, doesn't save you. At the end of the day, what saves your soul is faith in Jesus, the healer. The Lord who says, 
Your sins are forgiven. The Lord who says that though you were red, your sins were, were red like scarlet, you've been made white like wool. The Lord who says, I do not count your sins against you anymore. I've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. I've thrown them into the depths of the sea. The Lord who overthrows sin and death in our hearts, in our souls, that, that's why Jesus is doing what he's doing. There are people in our days still, in 2020, who make a bigger deal about the physical healings that Jesus did than the spiritual healing he did through the cross. And I need you to know, while I believe that there is a God in heaven who heals and can heal the physical body, I need you to know that I will never elevate that above the soul healing that comes through the cross in the empty grave. Because well bodies who do not put faith in Jesus still go to hell. But sick bodies who declare Jesus as Lord have been eternally healed and their souls have been saved. Jesus is the soul healer first. Most important. That's the thing that matters most. What matters most, and listen, I used to put a lot of emphasis, I still think it's incredibly interesting, but I used to put a lot of emphasis on man, prophet, coming from God, Lord, maybe he was ready to call him Lord first thing in the morning. Maybe his language just changed. Maybe, 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 maybe. Here's what, here's what matters. Jesus healed this guy for what happens in verse 35. Lord. Jesus heals this guy for the worship that he then receives. Listen, Jesus has saved us, has laid down his life and been raised from the dead for our worship of him and for his glorification. That our lives, this is the application part, we are healed eternally for the glory of God. If the theology is Jesus heals our soul, it, uh, there are preachers who get up, and I mentioned this before, but there are preachers who get up and say, look, you don't have to believe in Jesus, but just in case I'm right, just in case there really is a hell, ask Jesus to save you. That is not salvation. That is not soul healing. That is not coming before the Savior and saying, show me who you are, and him saying, it's me, and we go, Lord, and we worship. I, I need us to understand, I need us to agree so that we can spur one another on and encourage one another that the reason that Christ Jesus has saved our soul, theology, is for the application that we would worship him and that we would proclaim his glory, that, that we are healed eternally. We weren't healed eternally just so we wouldn't go to hell and we would live in heaven. We were healed eternally for the glory of God that our lives would make much of him. Two chapters later in John chapter 11, there's a guy named Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, and Jesus gets a message. Your friend Lazarus is, at, is home at sick and is dying, and Jesus lets him die. And Jesus says to his disciples, this sickness will not lead or end in his death, but is for the glory of God. That's what Jesus says. This will not lead to death, but is for the glory of God. And you've got to think that by the time they show up and Lazarus is dead, the disciples are going, well, he didn't call that one very well. Because Lazarus died. And Jesus said, it's not to death, it's for the glory of God. And they show up four days late. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus stands before the tomb where they've taken him, where they've buried Lazarus, and he says, remove the stone. And Martha says, it's going to stink by this time. And they remove the stone, and he speaks into the dead. We've talked about this. He speaks to the dead man, Lazarus, into the tomb, and he says, come out. And the Bible tells us, that's in John 11, the Bible tells us in John chapter 12 that many people were coming to salvation because of Lazarus. That many people were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. 
here's a question that we should all ask ourselves. How many people are coming to know Jesus because of me? And this is not an evangelistic message in terms of you need to be telling everybody you meet about Jesus. I'm just wondering, like, is our life so different? Have our lives been so radically changed by the soul healer that our lives are being so beautifully lived for his glory that people are coming to know him? Is your marriage so different? Is your relationship with your children so different? Is your relationship with the stranger so different? Is your life so filled with joy when, when the rest of the world is being swept with fear, you have peace? Are, are, are you living so much in Christ, so completely settled in the soul healing that you have received, so firmly planted in heaven instead of on earth, so firmly rooted in the truth of who Jesus is rather than the uncertainty of this world that when people see you like they saw Lazarus, like they saw this blind man, they're saying, man, Jesus must be God. Not, wow, it's really neat what's happened to you, but man, Jesus must be God. Are people coming to know Jesus because our souls have been healed and we've been living for his glory? Put your faith in the healer, not so that you won't come down with a sickness, but pray for that, certainly. But put your faith in the healer, for Jesus is the healer of the soul, and he's healed our soul that we would glorify him. It would take us a long time to go through the whole context of it. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We can talk about this more on Wednesday night, the direct context of the, of the, of the text. But here's what's happening briefly in that scenario. Within the church body, there's a division. Some people are doing one thing, some people are doing another thing, and they're disagreeing about how to do it. And Paul says to the church whether you're doing this thing or that thing, do it for the purpose of glorifying God. Christian, let me ask you this question. Is the choice you're making today for the purpose of glorifying God? Is the thing that you're about today the glorification of Jesus? In Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 12, also not complete context. So if you want to know the complete context of Colossians chapter 2, really, and chapter 3, then we can talk about that Wednesday. But Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, says, he says, um, wow, it just fell out of my head. I'll have to turn there. It's okay. That happens sometimes. Right. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if any one of you has a complaint against the other, forgiving one another, just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Okay? So then he says in verse 14, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In verse 15, he says uh, to instruct one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And then in verse 16, I've lost it again, it says this, that's verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. That's why I lost it. And then listen to verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks, giving glory, giving honor to God through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's John chapter 21 where Jesus turns to Peter and he says, do you love me, Peter? And he says, I love you, Lord. And he says, then feed my sheep. And three times he says that. And then Jesus says to Peter, he goes, he goes right now you get to go wherever you want to go. But one day, he goes, people will stretch out your arms and lead you away. You do not want to go, talking about Peter going to die in crucifixion. And he says, and this is the death by which you will glorify me. It's Jesus saying to Paul in Acts chapter 9, he goes, you have a lot of suffering to do to bring glory to my name. It's Jesus saying in John chapter 12 to the Father in heaven, how troubled my heart is as I face this hour, the crucifixion. But what should I say, Lord God, for this very reason I've come to this hour, glorify your name. Everybody who has, I don't know, we, we relegate, we We'll put Jesus over here because he's God. But we take Paul and we take Ezekiel and we take Daniel and we take Abraham and we take these people of faith and we say, man, these guys were better than we are. And they're not. They're not different than us. They're, they're, they're the same. It's the same faith in the same God. If anything, if anything, we have an advantage over the Old Testament saints because we have the spirit in us and they didn't. Because we have the, the power of sin has been defeated by the cross, and that wasn't true for them. If anything, we have an advantage over the Old Testament counterparts of faith. But all of us have put faith in Jesus, the Savior, God, the Redeemer, the one who heals the soul. And all of us, this great cloud of witnesses that went before us, all of us, all of us recognize that the sole salvation that we've received is for the glory of God. Listen, if, if, if your faith story is, I got saved so I wouldn't go to hell, you've missed it. You have missed it. Because we've been saved eternally for the glorification of the Father who sits in heaven. So that in Acts, sorry, in Revelation chapter 5, so that we of the throng, the many around the throne can say, Worthy, worthy are you, O Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who is upon the throne. Worthy is the one. <laughs> worthy is the God who rescued us whose blood was spilled. The worthy is the one who saved us. Our lives are for the glorification of the Father. Jesus is the healer. Put your faith in the healer. B believe, believe bigger than today. Believe God more than just being protected from the coronavirus. Believe God that you have been washed from sins, that you have been made whole, that the sin epidemic is... A billion times more scary than any virus that plagues the earth because the consequences are eternal. And then rejoice that our faith is in the healer, not just of our bodies, which will return to dust, but in Jesus who heals the soul. And then let that truth, that's the truth, that's the theology, let that truth build an application in your heart that says, God, we know that we have been eternally healed so that we can glorify you. I wonder, this man in John 9 lost his family and his, his social standing. It, it's really interesting because... According to Jewish law, somebody who was born blind or crippled or something like that wouldn't have been able to come into the temple to worship anyway. There wouldn't have been a regular part of anything anyway. 
And, and people, they're threatening him. <laughs> they're, they're like, look, if you acknowledge Jesus, we're going to throw you out. And they were already having nothing to do with him. And that day, to be blind was already, what was their view of him? God's punishing him. That's why he's born blind. Their view of him was already low. He, but now there's no social standing. He has no family. Why? For, for the one who healed him. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, says, The Spirit of God testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided that I suffer with him. And then verse 18, in most of our Bibles, there's a break between verse 17 and verse 18. There shouldn't be. There's not a break in the thought. Verse 18 says, But I consider the sufferings of this present age nothing compared to the glory that will be brought to me on the day that Christ Jesus is revealed. The suffering of this present age is nothing compared to the glory that is waiting me when Jesus Christ shows up. Why? Because Jesus who heals, Jesus the healer, Jesus who is the savior of mankind, my faith is in him, the healer, the soul healer. Jesus is the soul healer. And so whatever suffering I have to endure, physical or personal, whatever suffering I have to endure on this planet is nothing compared to the glory that awaits me. And so I then recognize that my soul has been healed so that my life can bring glory to God. Whether it's this long or whether I am one of those guys that, you know, makes it past 100. I'll be 45 in a month and a half. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm wondering, like, percentage-wise, where am I in my journey? Provided that I don't step outside and have blue water fall from the sky and kill me, you know? That happens. It's just rare. It's blue water from the toilets of the planes that fly overhead. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, let's just, I'm just going to tell you, if that happens, yuck it up because that's hilarious. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what drink you'll serve at my funeral, but make sure it has blue ice in it if that happens. Because that, that's funny. I mean, it'd be tragic, sure, but only for like a day. And then, really funny. But I wonder sometimes, like, how far spent is my life? I feel like it's 50% or less. I don't see myself really going much beyond 90. Possibly, right? My grandmother just died. She was 92. Possibly. But how much time is left? And then, for what purpose was I healed? Because I'm standing before you today, and I'm telling you, I'm healed. My ankle still is going to require surgery in a few weeks. My shoulder that had surgery several years ago sometimes still hurts me. I'm incredibly weak. Just watch me do a pull-up later. But I'm healed where it matters most. My soul has been healed. And my soul has been healed eternally that I might glorify God. That people might know Jesus because of how I live in my healing. That I might boldly proclaim, listen, <laughs> you might not want to believe in him, but I believe in him because he's the one who changed my life. That I might boldly put my hope and my confidence in Jesus the healer. 
that all of my trust might be in him. We were healed eternally for the glory of God. Let's do that. Let's glorify Jesus. You're going to get to make a hundred choices today. Most of them you will make without even contemplating them because that's just how our brains work. What if we began to make choices deliberately instead of on autopilot and said, I'm going to make this choice because this best glorifies Jesus? So here we are. The theology is Jesus heals our soul. This soul healing that we have received then is eternal for the glory of God. That's the application. And here's our prayer. God, help us to glorify you in the healing you've provided. The theology is Jesus heals our soul. The application is we are healed eternally for the glory of God. And our prayer is, God, help us to glorify you in the healing you've provided. Quit, quit waiting. Listen, please, please, please hear me carefully. When you get a job, and by the way, a lot of people right now are losing their jobs. We had dinner with some friends in San Antonio, and uh, the, the husband works for a hotel group. And they are letting go 50% of their employees. They've lost nearly a million dollars of property since this sickness has started, and they can't keep people employed. That's happening all over our country. Think for a moment. like You're like, okay, not that many people are sick. Not that many people have died. The impact of the sickness is big. But here's what I want you to think about. Like, when, when we or our friends or our family lose their job and they get a job, we will praise God for that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that they got the job. Thank you, God, that they got the raise. Thank you, God, that they got better. Thank you, God, that they didn't get sick. That's, that's not hard for us. Where the challenge is, is to say, everything's going really well. I've got money in the bank. I'm not sick. God, help me to glorify you today. That's where the challenge is. There are plenty of prayer groups where people have said, man, I got the job. Oh, praise God. Let us be the people who say, I didn't get the job, but God is still worthy of praise. My body didn't get well, but God is still worthy of praise. So God, help us to glorify you in the healing you've provided. Help us to glorify you in the soul healing that you've provided. Help us to glorify you in the salvation that we've received. Right? because that's the thing that matters forever. So let's take about 30 seconds. Let's take a minute. And let's say, God, help us to glorify you in the healing you've provided. Take a moment and think on Jesus who heals our soul. Take a moment and remember that the healing that we the eternal healing we've received is for the glory of God. And then take a moment and just ask that God would help you to glorify him in the healing you've, he's, he's given you.
God, we know that there are a lot of people in our, in our world right now who are physically sick. We know that there are a lot of people who are losing their jobs. And we know that this, this has had, had an impact on our world. We ask God that in the midst of the impact that this has had, that you would help our focus to be on Jesus. God, that we faithful followers of yours would still declare your glory in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of challenges, that we would still proclaim you the healer. Certainly of bodies, yes, Lord, but more importantly of our souls. We thank you that Jesus has healed our soul. And we acknowledge and we agree that we have been healed eternally for the purpose of glorifying your name. Not just so that we could return to our daily life, not so that we could just fall into a daily routine, but we have been healed for the glory of your name, for the magnification of the name that is above every name, for the proclamation of Jesus. You have saved us, you have healed us, you have made us clean and whole. Now God, we ask, we ask that you would help us to rest in the healing that you've given us and glorify you in it. That we would faithfully proclaim your goodness in all things. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.